Let's go to the second verse of 1 Peter chapter 5. Feed the flock of God which is among you. Feed. We have metaphors of feed, flock, and shepherd in these four verses that apply to pastors. A pastor is one who, related to pasture, provides feed and nourishment for sheep, so he's called a shepherd. Remember this morning we had shepherds in Ezekiel, we had prophets, we had pastors, we had priests mentioned, different forms of office under the old covenant of those who taught the word of God. But feed, so we've got flock, and we know what feeding a flock is providing pasture for them so that these sheep can have enough to eat of nutritious grass and they can have enough water to drink. We get this pastoral pasture picture in our minds of the man of God, who's here called an elder, but also under the chief shepherd in verse 4. The feeding by elders is teaching and preaching the word of God to the sheep of Jesus Christ. When Jesus confronted Peter about his ministry after his resurrection from the dead, Simon Barjona, lovest thou me more than these? Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. Feed my sheep. Did Peter feed his sheep? You know, he was right back in the ministry just a few days later after the horrible sin of denying his only Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, was back in the ministry, even leading the other apostles in Acts chapter 1 in the replacement of Judas Iscariot, preaching the sermon in Acts chapter 2, opening the gospel to the Gentiles with Cornelius' household in Acts chapter 10. What a wonderful example in the Bible of the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ and how Peter was still very useful to him. It reminds me of John Mark, who was cast off by the Apostle Paul for going AWOL on his first preaching trip in Acts chapters 13 and 14. But later, we can read that Mark is very useful to me. And Peter is going to reference Marcus here uh, before we can get out of this epistle. Feed. This is the first of two duties that a pastor has. And in this second verse, we have feed and take the oversight. Lead, rule, guide, direct, feed. Provide the Word of God to them by rightly dividing the Word of truth and explaining to them the sense of Scripture so that they can know what I've given to them. Let me show you a couple more examples of that twofold ministry. Come back to Acts 20, which was just read to us a few minutes ago by Brother Matthew. And brother, I appreciate your emotion because it was an emotional exchange between them. If you read the whole chapter, you will see more about that emotion. And what a wonderful statement he could say, I have taught you everything useful to you. I am free from the blood of all men. I have done my part. I have finished my course. I have fulfilled my ministry. But I'm warning you like I have warned you for three years with tears. Men are going to arise, false teachers, teaching false things, perverse things, even among yourselves. Men are going to arise to destroy the church of God and to steal sheep from his flock. So be vigilant. And I commend you to God and the word of his grace. That is the word of God which is able to keep ministers in line. It's not deacon boards that keep ministers in line. It's the Word of God that keeps ministers in line. And it's your prayers. How do we keep the Roman, how do they keep the Roman government in line? And how do we keep our government in line? We pray for them. That's the most powerful thing we can ever do. And you should pray for your pastor. And I hope in a few minutes to be able to conclude with some things that you can do to put these verses into practice. Verse 28 of Acts 20. Take heed therefore unto yourselves. Now remember in verse 17, it is the elders that he has called together. Take heed therefore unto yourselves. Does that sound familiar to 1 Timothy 4.16? Take heed unto thyself. Because a man's got to take heed to himself first. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. There's the word bishop. There's the the work and function of a bishop, an overseer, to feed the church of God. There's the teacher, pastor, preacher aspects of his job, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Because it's God's flock, it's Christ's flock, and a minister had better remember that. He is just a servant and an ambassador from God and Christ to his the Lord's congregation. But what I want this verse for is in the middle of it, the Holy Ghost 
hath made you overseers. God the Holy Ghost has equipped you and ordained you by the laying on of hands to be overseers. That is to be the superintendent or supervisor or manager or director. Use whatever kind of words you want to get the picture of someone that is taking care of the overall body. And then it says to feed the church of God. So there's oversight and feeding, which we had back here in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 2. Look at 1 Timothy 5.17. 1 Timothy 5.17 says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. So there's two parts to a minister's job. And if he does them well and labors diligently, which is implied there in the second half, he's worthy of double honor. And that honor isn't saying, yes, sir, sir. That honor is just like it's used in the rest of this chapter for honoring widows indeed. It's providing their compensation. Let the elders that rule well, so there's ruling, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine, there's the teaching or feeding. And so I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop. Well, I'll give you Hebrews 13.7. Hebrews 13.7. If you look at it again, maybe it will reside in your memories just a little bit longer because we'll, we can refer to it. Hebrews 13.7. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God. There's the two parts of the job. Oversight of the congregation and feeding the congregation scripture by preaching and teaching it. Elders are pastor teachers which have the ability, duty, and privilege of feeding. What should faithful pastors feed their sheep or people? Knowledge and understanding. Jeremiah 3.15, I will give you pastors after mine own heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. Where does knowledge and understanding come from? It comes from the Word of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. Doctrine is teaching. Doctrine is not a complicated, mysterious word. It means teaching and instruction. So it's good for doctrine. It's good for reproof. To be rebuked and told that you are wrong. For correction, that is to be told a different way of doing things instead of the way you have been doing them. To tell you that's wrong and this is the right way. And instruction in righteousness that you might know what God measures as true righteousness for your conduct in public and private, in your marriage, in your finances, in your thoughts, in your speech, on the job, wherever. Whatever the Bible addresses should be taught as instruction in righteousness. Now you've learned from the book of Proverbs over many years that the words of God in the book of Proverbs are for knowledge and for discretion and for understanding and for equity and for judgment and for wisdom. So it's, it's the words of God that are supposed to be preached. So when I ask the question, what should faithful men of God teach and preach? It is the Bible. It is the Bible. And of course, we can do this. You know, every church has a Bible. And they kiss it. But listen, we preach it. We may not kiss it. And we may not have some altar boys bring it in in a basket with some cross and a 20-foot pole over it with incense flying in every direction. But we preach it. And there shouldn't be anything else preached. You don't want to hear about Jonathan Crosby and his experiences. We don't want to hear about professional athletes. I'm not going to quote from commentaries. I'm not going to tell you anecdotal stories by anyone or about anyone. I'm going to preach this word. And what does that mean? What does it mean to preach the Bible? It is very specifically defined in Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 8. And so they read in the book, in the law of God distinctly, and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. That is Bible preaching. It is not entertaining. It's not telling jokes. It's not giving very many illustrations. It is reading it distinctly, giving the sense or meaning of the words, and causing the hearers to understand what God meant by those words. So it's not very hard for us to figure out. Preach the Word! My job description, when I'm dealing with the word feed here, in 2 Timothy 4.2, is preach the Word! The elders, the elders, Peter addresses the elders, feed the flock of God, feed them, 
Don't entertain them. Don't befriend them. Don't pamper them. Don't flatter them. Feed them. Feed them. And I try to feed you. And this isn't about me. This is about what this church needs to be praying for, looking for, expecting, submitting to, esteeming very highly in love for their work's sake, and begging God to give us more. Like these first four verses of 1 Peter chapter 5. Feed the flock of God which is among you. And feed means to preach them the word of God, to fill them with knowledge and understanding. Men before us have done that. We know a lot about the Bible. We know a lot of the Bible. The Lord has been very kind to us, and I am very thankful to Him, and I hope that you will be very thankful with me for beautiful feet and right answers and diligent labor that has gone before us. Some that we've never met. Some that we have known personally. And they trace all the way back to John the Baptist. And some gave their lives for it. And some didn't even have the whole Word of God. But boy, what they had, they learned. And they were willing to lay down their lives for And they preached it boldly, plainly. And they did not care what men said about them. The Word of God is able to make the elder perfect. Truly furnished unto all good works. That means ministerially perfect. Ministerially complete. Ministerially fully qualified and competent if he'll take heed to the Word of God. Because it says that in 2 Timothy 3.17, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. He doesn't need a committee to get to a few extra good works. He needs the Word of God. And brethren, you have been an ideal, outstanding congregation for the 30 years that I've been in Greenville by allowing your pastor, encouraging your pastor, appreciating your pastor, spending many hours studying the Word of God. That is a huge blessing because you ain't got the Apostle Paul. I've got Paul's words in writing. And sometimes, like Peter says, they're difficult to understand, as he's going to tell us in 2 Peter chapter 3. But you have been ideal that way, and I commend you for that, because the man of God needs to have the time to go and study the Word of God. I heard at break time about a pastor in Greenville that died this past week. Walter Hanford, who was the pastor of Southside Baptist Church, and it was the largest independent fundamentalist Baptist church in Greenville in those days. And what a big administrative job that he had to run, you know, the Sunday school and the Christian school. And when you start adding all those auxiliaries to a church of Jesus Christ, do you know what happens to the pastor? He doesn't study the Bible anymore. He either buys his sermons, which you can do online now so easily with a click of your mouse. You can buy your 52 sermons or 104 if you preach twice a Sunday, which most don't do anymore, online. But it becomes an administrative nightmare for all the facilities that are involved and all the people that are working on the staff. It becomes an administrative job. I remember time spent with Dr. Ernest Carswell, who was the pastor of Taylor's First Baptist Church, which became probably one of the largest Baptist churches in Greenville a number of years ago. And I was able to talk with him from time to time. And he's, he's in his 80s now. And I remember when he retired, when he retired, he told me, now I will have time to study the Bible. Is that horrible? If I told you the number of funerals and weddings he had to do in a year, you would not believe me, so I am not going to tell you. It is staggering. Because in a big church like that, they all think they need to have the senior pastor do their wedding and do their funeral. Do you know what a waste of time it is doing both? Compared, Where is that in the Bible? Where is either one in the Bible? A man of God needs to be study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. For someone to say that the word command or commandment isn't in the Hebrew language, doesn't belong in the Bible, and the Ten Commandments should be called the Ten Promises, he'll tell you how long he spent on the sermon. He'll tell you in his sermon. You can go punch it in, Perry Noble, Ten Commandments. I spent ten minutes. I guess one for each commandment. He completely rewrote them into a promise. 
Feed the flock of God which is among you. So one of the things you can do is help the pastor stay in the Word of God. Encourage him to stay in the Word of God. Pray for him to stay in the Word of God. Pray for the Lord to open his eyes to rightly divide the Word of truth. What should elders feed the flock of God? They must only feed what the sheep owner says. The sheep owner says, this is the diet that I want for my sheep. I have just put you on the job for a little while, and then you're going to come and stand before me and give an account of what you've done, and you're going to give an account of each one of those sheep as to what they've done. By the way, Hebrews 13, 17 says that ministers give an account for everyone under their care, and it is not profitable for you if he doesn't give a good report. It says that in the word of Hebrews 13, 17 is back just a few pages. It shouldn't be hard to find. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. For they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable for you. This is a true verse of Scripture. I give an account. I'll give an account for your souls. And I want to do it with joy for all of you. And you want me to do it with joy for you. It's God's flock. He absolutely and finally gets the last and only word on the proper diet. You know, everybody's coming up with something new to give their church to make it grow. I want our church to grow, so we've got to have a vision. Let's increase the prayer band. Let's crank up the decibels. You know, Rick Warren, another Southern Baptist preacher, gone to seed, Saddleback Community Church out in California. First rule to build your church, turn the music up till you can't stand it. Because he knows that pastors aren't used to what youth are listening to, so you've got to turn the volume of the music up till you can't stand it. Rule one. That is sick. Rule one is preach the word. Rule two is see rule number one. Preach the word. Feed the flock of God which is among you. Ministers must avoid anything other than the word of God, the scriptures, and the Bible. You know, when Christian schools were added to church ministries, that was a terrible mistake. If a church membership wants a Christian school, they ought to make put together a board of trustees separately from the church, all together separate from the church, and have a Christian school if that's what they want. It is not a ministry of Jesus Christ. It is not a ministry of God's ministers. It distracts and detracts and causes trouble and problems. There's one thing for a church, and we're doing it right now. Yes, we sing around it. We have the Lord's Supper. We have fellowship. And so forth. But the emphasis has got to be in the Word of God. And that's really what I want to communicate to you today. That's what I want you to go home with. I want you to love the Word of God. I want you to pray for your pastor to love it, study it, rightly divide it, and for the Lord to open its pages to him. If you are all praying for me every morning, open our pastor's eyes that he may behold wondrous things out of your law. I'll share those things with you as well as I'm able. They must exalt every Word of God as carefully inspired and preserved. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. We don't question any single one of them. We don't tell you that it could have been, it should have been, it could have been, it might have been. Some say this, this scholar says that. The Hebrew, the Greek, the Latin, the Aramaic, we blow all that out the back door. Because we trust our English Bible. We've bet our lives in this world and our lives in the world to come on it. Ministers must esteem every precept of God as right and hate all contrary ideas. They're at war with you in your thoughts and imaginations. You know the passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 4 through 6. When we come together, and I gotta, you know, I gotta say it with Zach. We always look angry. We always sound angry. We're just intense. Right. He loves the truth and he loves you. I love the truth and I love you. But I am pretty upset about what's going on outside these walls. I'm upset about what happens in your heart and mind. I'm upset about what happens in my heart and mind. And I want to wage war against those things. I want to fight the good fight of faith. And I want to blast away with the 66 Magnum that I have in a King James Bible against your thoughts and your imaginations. Because 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 6 says that we're at war with each other right now. Except I'm supposed to win. And when... 
I have got all of you obeying. I'm supposed to be ready to avenge any act of disobedience. I'm not turning you to it because we've been there before. And Lord, forgive me if they need to see it. But it's 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 6. I think I've said it a few times. We're at war. And when I, when a pastor gets a church doing what is right, believing what is right, every variance, every heretic, every disobedient rebel is to be dealt with and avenged, thrown out of the church to keep the church on the right path. God's ministers must despise another Jesus and any other doctrine. That other Jesus, that other gospel, that other spirit, they all want to talk about Jesus. Listen, I don't want to hear about Jesus from Mark Driscoll with some ridiculous cartoon caricature of Jesus Christ on some cheap t-shirt he's wearing like a ghetto thug. There's a Jesus that the Bible describes from cover to cover, and he's the only Jesus we want to teach here. There is another Jesus, and that other Jesus is very popular in the world. Just because they lips lisp and say the name of Jesus doesn't mean a thing. God told us about that, and that is part of what has been preached to you in the past. God's ministers must love the details and smallest commandments of the Bible. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and 19, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, love and teach the smallest things of the law. We cannot be fundamentalists. Do you know what a fundamentalist is? It's someone that sits down and says, these ten fundamentals are what we're going to teach, and everything else will just make a matter of liberty. The Bible doesn't allow us to do that. Of course there's matters of Christian liberty. But we're not talking about Christian... Do you know what I'm talking about when I say that? Well, you can just go to that faith-free Presbyterian church on Howell Road and find out what they mean. They mean that baptism is a matter of Christian liberty. That if you believe in infant baptism, then that's okay. Because let's agree to disagree on those things so that we can unite against the attacks against the Word of God taking... Wait a minute. Infant baptism is an attack against the Word of God. How can we agree to disagree on that attack against the Word of God in order to fight other attacks? So we believe the whole Bible. We don't accept infant baptism. We don't accept baptisms that come from other orders than Baptists. I don't care that you were baptized as a Pentecostal or a Methodist. Neither does God. He didn't set up either denomination, either church, or any pastor in any of them. And so it goes. The least. I want to, I want to read it to you. Matthew 5.19, where Jesus opened up and started off the Sermon on the Mount. Just because sometimes we're accused of being picky. Matthew 5.19, Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. What does that say about someone who teaches that baptism is a matter of liberty? least in the kingdom of heaven, if he makes it to the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For the benefit of your pastor, for the benefit of this pulpit, this office, forget the person, the office, we want the pastor of this church, the man in this pulpit, to be great by doing and fulfilling that verse. What does feed the flock of God not mean? Peter did not say to coddle or pamper the flock. Like a feminine, grinning Robert Schuller. If you don't know who he is, that's okay. Peter did not say to grow the flock. Like number-worshipping, gimmick-using Jack Hiles. If you don't know who he is, that's okay. If you want to ask about some of these men later, they worshipped at these altars. Peter did not say to empower the flock, to ministries large or small, for the Great Commission. Going into a Baptist church last Sunday and finding that before or with asking for information about membership, you could also check a box, I would like to work in the parking lot. See, if you can give a man a ministry, if you can give a man a ministry and a safety badge, don't you remember from the third grade? In the third grade, the kids that got to wear that orange or white it went around your waist and then it went across and you could stand out there and stop traffic in the, on the school parking lot. 
When you can do... Do you remember that? I mean, third graders would practically kill for it. If you remember, you remember they practically could kill for it. When you go to a church and they offer you that, see, they've bought you in. And you're, you, you know why you're there? To feel good about yourself as serving the Lord in some capacity. And you're out in the parking lot and you're not hearing the preaching. Why do we go to church? Primarily to hear the Word of God. Peter did not say to cheer the flock. Because much of Bible preaching will be hot and hard. Peter did not say to impress the flock by charm, eloquence, or claims for a personality cult. Peter did not say to flatter the flock by telling them how precious they are and have been. Peter did not say to befriend the flock by being Mr. Personality and socializing with them. Peter said, feed the flock. And I hope, for this pulpit's sake, during a week's time, you get a number of things to think about. In detail. Backed up. Provided in writing. To feed you. And I hope you have an appetite for it. Oh, I've got 28 false feeding methods here. Let me just mention a couple. You know, there's numbers driven. I've already mentioned that. Jack Hiles. There's entertainment driven. Instead of feeding, they, they just come up with more ideas for entertainment. There's smooth talkers. There's every man ministries. That's the guy in the parking lot. There's the Great Commission salvation business. There's, you know, the, the uh, cathedral complex. Let's build a beautiful, did you hear the, did we hear somebody today say, uh, now that we've built, built the building, let's build the church? That's a cathedral complex. And you know what? I want to tell you something. They will come. Do you know the restaurants that buy Class A real estate versus the restaurants that buy Class B real estate? No, automatically and for sure that they will have greater volume of sales. And if you were to build a big fancy building and put it on Class A real estate, they'll come. Sick. They're out looking for the wrong thing. There's the political agenda. That's the Carl McIntyre's of a number of years ago, of preaching politics out of the pulpit of Jesus Christ. Paul never preached politics except submit, obey, pay, and pray. That's how political we are. An activity calendar. You know, so many families go to a church and they want to sit down with a secretary or a pastor and ask what programs they have. It's an activity calendar. They want a calendar filled up with activities. You know, if you want to fill up the calendar, we'll just get together more often for more of this. Preaching the Word of God. But we're not going to get together for more bowling, more shooting, more motorcycle riding, and all of that stuff. They're social do-gooders. These churches pride themselves as wonderful world benefactors. We're going to feed the poor. We're going to help the homeless. We're going to make the world literate. We're going to take reading to the sedan. And they get people all excited. These little busybody women running around taking food, canned food donations and sending their husbands hard-earned money off to programs to cause the illiterate to read. Where does it say that in the Bible? Any of that in the Bible? Well, it sounds noble to me. A lot of things sound noble to you, but God is the noblest of them all and He doesn't ever mention anything like that. We'll collect canned food No, we won't. We'll do better than that for anybody in our church that needs it. Listen, brethren, if any of you are in trouble and somebody brings a meal and all it is is a bag of canned food, call me. We do far better than that. Some of you prepare gourmet meals for these people that we've chosen to help in times of need in their lives. These, Do you know how many churches are just social organizations to do good? Do you know how many of them are downtown Greenville? If it's downtown Greenville, you can count on what it's there for. It's networking and social do-gooders. Because those are the old established churches of Greenville that no longer preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and pound their pulpits, but have a social gospel that's pitiful. You know, there's child worship churches where they exalt and pamper the children, and the mothers will then worship Jesus. Why do you think Catholics got infant baptism going? When all your babies are dying in the first you know, a few days, weeks, or months, or years for a priest to be able to tell you now it goes to heaven because we took care of it. You know, mommies get very happy and mommies come to church and mommies take their husbands' hard-earned money and buy candles 
and so forth to keep Catholic churches going. And just the list goes on and on. Um, you know, women's liberation. There's churches out there that reject Paul as a woman hater and give women equality in worship when the Bible doesn't. There's the feeling fantastic churches. If we do enough to make them feel good, they will follow the agenda. Japanese management. If we eliminate ministerial authority, we can call the shots ourselves by some committee. Firewalkers. Pick the right beat, play it loud, and play it long enough, spirits will come. Yes, they will. There's all these brethren. Have you ever watched a snake handling church in business? Do you think they do it to a cappella singing of amazing grace? No. Do they start right off handling a snake? Or do they need about three hours of driving rock and roll music before they want to pick up a basket full of them? You say, oh, I don't know. I'm taking your word. You don't have to take my word for anything anymore. Go home to a Google search box and type in snake handlers. Better yet, go to YouTube and type in snake handlers and you can watch it. Whoa! And hear it. Silent suggestion churches. Since God is silent on many aspects of worship, He must not care. We can do anything we want. Bedside bishops. These sweet and gentle men keep members comfortable through death. I'm going to tell you something right now. Oh, and this is hard to say because the image in so many minds is what a pastor should do. I'll come and visit you in the hospital if you're there long enough. I'll preach the Word of God at your funeral if you really want it. But I don't make hospital rounds and I never will. Do you know why? It's not part of my job description. Do you know whose job description it is? Yours. I'll be there as much as you are. You probably wouldn't want my bedside manner anyway. Do you know how many pastors just turn into bedside bishops? They get up in the morning. If you had a mega church in Greenville of 3,000 or to 5,000 members, how many people are in the hospital at any one time? So you get up and you drive downtown. You've got the pastor sticker so that you get to park a little closer to the front door. And you go in there and you make your rounds. Do you know where that came from? It didn't come from a Baptist church. It came from a Catholic church. Because that Catholic's going to get in there to get you to confess your sins to Him for penance. And He's going to give you extreme unction when you think that you're on the last ropes. Anyway, do you know why? Because it says feed the flock. It doesn't say visit the flock or any of those other things. Some of the verses that we have encountered in 1 Peter alone have required a great deal of mental sweat and a lot of time in order to sort through all the possible solutions to those verses in in line with the rules of hermeneutics that God has taught us. We need to throw out everything that doesn't fit the Word of God that anyone tries to bring toward this church. Do you know the legion of inventions and alterations made to the simplicity of the gospel that churches have added to make it comfortable and entertaining for people? Musical instruments. There wasn't a Baptist church in the world that had a musical instrument 150 years ago. It's all a recent invention. Sunday schools, mission boards, seminaries, special music, crosses, flags, attendance contests, Holy matrimony, that's a Catholic sacrament, flowers, offertories, altars, athletic teams, egg hunts, drama teams, women preachers, mission teams, casual churches, haunted houses, rock bands, lock-ins, Super Bowl parties, Christmas programs, sleepovers, beach parties, same-sex marriages, summer camps, athletic trips, laughing revivals, telethons, sharing meetings, Holy Land tours, sunrise services, singing happy birthday, singing patriotic songs, soup kitchens, Boy Scout troops, political rallies, steeples, political demonstrations, early services, celebrity testimony, stained glass windows, scheduled revivals, baby dedications, hired musicians, coffee houses, Jesus rocks, healing services, youth ministers, ladies Bible studies, lesbian pastors, self-esteem teaching, storytelling, poem reading, rock concerts, Woodstock youth festivals, music ministers, interpretive dance, speaking in tongues, mimes, moral compromise without limits, doctrinal changes without number, strobe lights and smoke. We are Neanderthal. 
I'm going to go home in my leather girdle, crunch down a locust, suck a little wild honey, beat the dog with my stick. We're in, you know, compared to what's happening. And brother, you know, a little bit of holy laughter, but let's stand firm and fast on the Word of God. And we have in front of us which convicted me so much by God's arranging of a number of things in my life to come together in one crescendo, the elders. The elders. It starts in this box, the pulpit. It starts here. The elders. The elders. You heard it read to you from Jeremiah 3, Jeremiah 23, Ezekiel 13, Ezekiel 34, Malachi 2. You heard it. Lord, help us. Sermons will not be stories or testimonies, but expositional or topical Bible preaching and other things that come out of this pulpit. Feed the flock of God. It's God's flock, His sheep. He's the one that saved them, brought them together. You know, in 1 Corinthians 12, 18, it says that the Lord adds to the church such as should be saved. And the Lord puts in the body every member as it pleases Him, is what the Bible teaches us, which is among you. They did not meddle in the business of other churches. I don't care what's going on in other churches. There's men to take care of those churches. We don't travel around like itinerant preachers taking advantage of another man's work. This brings up a denomination that wants to refer to all their pastors as elders. They want to pick the most obscure word in the New Testament for a pastor and call them always and only elders. Elder so-and-so. By the way, I don't even want to be called pastor so-and-so. I am Brother Crosby to your children, and I am Brother Jonathan to you, because Paul was Brother Paul to Peter. And we are not supposed to use titles like that. When you start using the word elder that way, you forget what a bishop's job is. A bishop is an overseer. A pastor is a feeder. An elder, we don't know what it is, so let's just go ahead and follow our denominational tradition, and that is we do a lot of traveling among churches. There are primitive Baptist pastors that are out of their pulpit more than they're in their pulpit because they do so much traveling as an elder, floating among the churches. Where is that taught in the Bible? You know what it says right here? Feed the flock of God, which is in the next state. Feed the flock of God that is having an annual meeting. Feed the flock of God that's having a Bible conference. What does it say? We trust every word of God's Word. Feed the flock of God which is among you. Taking the oversight thereof. This is the, this is the job function of leading, directing, managing, supervising the church. I've shown you the places where these two are combined in various places in the New Testament. This is the same choice that God made for ruling marriages. Who rules a marriage? The husband does. We're not ashamed of that in this church. It's preached, it's taught, and I have defended you men with many minutes and many hours and much intensity about the fact that you are supposed to rule in your marriage. And I tell your wives that they should submit to you and be under your rule because that's what the Bible teaches. And when it comes to children, I put both parents over those children and tell them to submit. I have slides about eagles eating eyeballs out of disrespectful children that roll their eyes at their parents. I support you in your authority. And God here in these few verses by Peter's pen says, take the oversight thereof. You know, some people aren't going to want ministers to take the oversight there. Who does he think he is? Do you know the last person that said it? Let's say the first person that said, who do you think you are? Who said that? Korah. Did somebody, Brother James from Jude, verses 3 through 13, referred to Korah. Who do you think you are? Well, the Lord said, stand back, Moses, because I'm going to do something new so that I can create a good object lesson for the next Sunday school class. I'm going to open up the earth and swallow Korah. Dathan and Abiram and all that are associated with them. Miriam opened her mouth. She was Moses' sister. He, she picked on him because of his Ethiopian Midianite wife. And God gave her leprosy right there on the spot. Right. And Moses begged God to have mercy on her. He said, are you kidding? Maybe in seven days I'll have mercy. Throw her out of the camp. That is the office right. that is to be defended. I defend your office as you men. Your office as father, your office as husband. I defend the offices of our government. And I defend the offices of your employer. And you know what we have preached for years and years, decades. And this church is all consistent. Here is the part of the job where the minister is supposed to take the oversight thereof. 
It's not handed to him. Sometimes he's going to be in season and his people will appreciate it. Sometimes he's going to be out of season and they don't appreciate it. But it doesn't matter. He feeds them and he takes the oversight. And he rules over them because that is the Bible word that is used. When the Bible says that you should use the rod to beat your children, we use it. We don't start modifying the Word of God by saying that four-letter word that starts with B should not be used relative to children. Yes, it should be, because that's exactly God's will for how they are to be trained. You do not have a better idea. You do not have a clue about child training if you go against the Word of God. God absolutely knows more about children than you ever will. And so here, take the oversight thereof. We see a husband ruling his wife in Genesis 3.16, then pastors ruling churches. Whether the world, the secular world or the Christian world, hardly anyone finds this acceptable anymore, but that is irrelevant. Who cares what the world thinks about our lack of musical instruments? Who cares what the world thinks of us using a 400 and 3-year-old Bible? Who cares what the world thinks of us having ministerial leadership of a church? Because that's what the Bible teaches. All five spheres of authority and leadership are ordained by God and should be upheld. Here the charge is made by Peter for ministers to fulfill that role. Since it's close by, I'll turn you there again. Hebrews 13, 7. Remember them which have the rule over you. Who are these? Is this the Roman government? No. Who have spoken unto you the word of God. Whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Hebrews 13, 7 grabs a lot and pulls it together. Because it says, remember them, and that's something you can do. Remember your pastor and what he does for you. Remember your pastor and his struggles. Remember your pastor and the attacks of the devil against him. Does it make basic common sense to you that if the devil wanted to affect this church the most, who would he go after? Remember them which have the rule over you. There's part of his function. Who have spoken unto you the word of God. That's feeding you scripture whose faith follow, we're going to get that in a few clauses, that's his example, considering the end of their conversation. What is the end of my life? I'm going to give an account to God for what I did and said publicly, privately, and house to house in this church. As in all spheres, rulers are under God and bound by His Word, and so it is with pastors. As in all spheres, if a ruler has tsunami obvious sin he's to be confronted or disobeyed preach that in all five spheres don't we is there a time that we would disobey our civil government yep is there a time a wife should disobey her husband like abigail did and yep yep all this is very simple for simplicity we can summarize a pastor's rule in doctrine administration and gray areas doctrine is studying the bible and presenting what god shows him from it as what the church is going to believe Administration is baptizing, ordaining, presenting members for membership or exclusion, setting the content of assemblies, ultimate financial responsibility, changing doctrine, those kind of things. Administrative. Some are gray areas. Gray areas are like this. The Bible says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Church attendance is a requirement of a New Testament church. When do we exclude a person that is no longer attending? Is it after five absences? Fifteen? A hundred? Five years? Or when they die? Someone's got to make that decision. Pastors rule in gray areas. Okay, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly. No one should be forced into the office of a minister, but he should do it willingly. I knew a man in Christ once, I knew a man in Christ once who was having a lot of fun at the bank at the age of 27. And he told the minister that wanted to ordain him that he wasn't willing. So therefore, he didn't qualify. And would he please back off and let him have a few more years of fun at the bank? That minister, in a dark room of a hotel one night, as he was in his bed, and I was, oh, the man in Christ was in his bed, I didn't, that was an accidental slip. Said, you understand what that verse means, don't you? That you keep pushing at me, that you're not willing and therefore you're not qualified. 
Do you apply it the same way over in 2 Corinthians 9, 7 where it says, The Lord loveth a cheerful giver? So that if you're not feeling cheerful about giving, you shouldn't give? Or does the verse mean you should get cheerful and give? Amen. And in the dark, he said, I'm telling you that God's hand is upon you and I should ordain you and you should be a pastor and you should get willing. And there were no more noises that night. Not by constraint, but willingly. Let's not be a church that pushes anyone into the ministry. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. It is a shame when young men graduate from high school, go to a college like Bob Jones University, thumb through the handbook and look at all the degree options, sit in that chapel and feel the constant pressure that to be a preacher boy is the greatest calling for a man's life. And so they sign up. It, it becomes their profession. Because they've never gone out and earned a living doing anything else. And when a man gets into the office of the ministry like that, he will be more tempted by money than any other kind of minister. If, he, if, if the well-heeled members of his church that give the most and contribute the most to his living were to disagree with him on some point, he would be scared because he's never been out there to have the confidence of having earned a living. Remember, the Bible says they must have a good report of them that are without. And that's more than your kindergarten teacher. Until you've proved yourself faithful in little things of life, like a job, you don't deserve the great, the, the hidden riches of God's ministry. Are you following all that? So it says, there's three comparisons made. Three, not... Don't do it this way, do it this way, do it, do it this way, do it this way. Don't, yes. And we're in the second one. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Who got messed up for filthy lucre? Balaam. And he is constantly referred to as wanting the reward of the job. When I was in banking, we called this job the nonprofit profession. And what we meant by that is, if you were a pastor, you would get supported and had all kinds of perks, maybe a parsonage, maybe a church car, all these perks, but there was no real measuring device to make you work hard. Like we had to work hard in a for-profit corporation. If we didn't produce that made it to the bottom line, out. How is a minister measured? So we, they called it the, they and we called it the non-profit profession. Because it's not competitive. But I'll tell you, if a man's been called by Jesus Christ and his church is praying for him and he's reading the Bible, it becomes very competitive. How close can I be like the Apostle Paul? How close can I be like David? Can I be a man that gives myself wholly to the ministry of God's Word? Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. You know, when a man goes into the ministry, he shouldn't even be thinking about what he's going to get paid. And uh, a man in Christ that I knew when he moved to South Carolina didn't care what he was going to be made, what he was going to be paid. And when the bank asked, you know, was how much was the diocese going to help in supporting him, he just said, "You don't know anything about Baptist churches, so just leave it alone." Because a man of God, properly convicted, properly submissive to God's will, loves the Word of God, loves to communicate it. His greatest joy is in communicating a passage of Scripture and having a person say, I understand that. You ha I understand that. That is beautiful. That passage is powerful. It's nothing about him. It's not his storytelling. It's, it's the Word of God. Preach the Word. That's the job description. Neither is being lords over God's heritage because a church is God's heritage. It's His flock. And a man of God is not to be a lord over them. That doesn't mean he's not an authority. That doesn't mean he's not their director. That doesn't mean he's not an overseer. Just like fathers are not to provoke your children to wrath, but you're still an authority. Just like a master is to do all things equal and fair, but he's still an authority, he can still fire you. So a minister still has his authority, even though he's not supposed to be a lord. The Pharisees were lords. They preached this long list of things, and Jesus said they don't even lift one of them with their fingers. Right. Mm -hmm. Neither is being lords over God's heritage, because it's the Lord's. 
For those of you that have read Charles Chinequay in his 50 years in the Church of Rome, you know what a Lord is that would come and steal a widow's last cow before that priest would bury Charles' dead father and ruin that family in the early 1800s. Diotrephes is one in Third John who always had to have the preeminence throwing people out of churches. If anybody questioned him, including the apostles, he had to have the preeminence. You know, a pastor has to get in the pulpit. A pastor has to do the most talking. A pastor has to lead. He has to take the oversight thereof. But if his heart is in the right place, he never wanted it, and he never enjoys it, and he never will enjoy it. Moses couldn't stand the job. Jonah refused it. Jeremiah denied it. And Saul of Tarsus was pricked many times before he took it. But the word of God to ministers is, take the oversight thereof. And to be an example to the flock. That's what we had read to us from 1 Timothy chapter 4. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believer. Whose faith follow. Considering the end of their conversation. Let me go back to one little, one little example. I rub some of you the wrong way when I talk so well about our government. But that's the Word of God. Follow my example. I'm going to give an account for it. I can read the Bible. I don't care about politics. I don't care at all. I know that God rules. And He will take care of all that. And I trust Him. And I trust Him fully. And that See, that's something that I've had to change. And it's been over a long period of time. But over the last 30 years, God's convicted me very much. And right now, I believe we're right at the crown of the road on the matter. We will disobey our government. If our government comes down and mandates anything we have to do or anything we can't do that the Word of God requires or condemns, But until then, we're going to submit, pay, pray, and be thankful for them. And I'm going to, I'm going to be looking for everything I can be, I can look for to be thankful for them. Because there's always things to be thankful. We still live in the greatest nation on earth. The capital flowing into our government bonds blows my mind from other countries. 2.36% on the 30 year. Our government can borrow money from other countries right now at 2.36% for 30 years. That means that other countries are saying there is only, I will be adequately compensated for all my risk of a default by the United States in the next 30 years for the paltry sum of 2.36%. So it makes it to the church update. Why is it in there? Well, actually it was in there for you all to think about refinancing if you have mortgages, honestly. I didn't put refinance in there. I just wanted to see who was smart enough to realize, ooh, it's getting down low. But it was in there to be thankful. And that's an example. I'm trying to be an example. I want to be an example of David who loves doing things, exceeding magnifical for the Lord, and who loves the Lord. And I continually press David at you because he's a wonderful role model that the Bible tells us so much about. No minister is ever perfect. Are there faults and flaws in every pastor? Of course. Are there faults and flaws in every father that's in here? Of course. Are there faults and flaws in every husband that's in here? Mm -hmm. Every master that's in here? Yes. When the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Notice how he ends up. He lays out there before these pastors, if you do your job right and you do your job well and you're faithful at your calling and you're in it for the right reasons and you're a good example and you feed the flock and you take the oversight, I as a fellow elder with you, I as a fellow partaker of the glories that shall be revealed, want to tell you this, that the chief shepherd, the shepherd that's over all of us, and the chief shepherd is not the Pope of Rome, the chief shepherd is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is coming back and he will give you a crown of glory. I've had people write me this verse and and want to encourage me with it, but I'm going to close. Before I close, I want to share with you this from 2 Timothy chapter 4. 
and I truly believe this because it is in Acts chapter 20 as well. 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul is writing the last chapter of his life. 2 Timothy 4 is Paul's last chapter. In verse 6, he says, I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. This is ministerial. Paul has been faithful. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. In 1 Peter 5, it was a crown of glory. In Revelation 2 and 3, it's a crown of life. Here, it's a crown of righteousness. But I want... Brethren, I'm your servant. I'm your servant. Paul was the servant. Jesus was the servant of the churches. After he says all that, he says, Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. I know I fought a good fight, kept the faith, finished my course. The Lord's going to give me a crown of righteousness. But notice what he says. And not to me only, but unto all them that are in the ministry in other churches. No. But unto all them also that love is appearing. When we get to heaven, I ain't going to be walking around with a ten-foot crown and you've got a four-footer. Are you kidding? I just have a little bit more responsibility before we get there, and that's for you as well as me. We're all going to have a crown of glory, a crown of righteousness, and a crown of life because all of them are describing the gift through Jesus Christ of life, righteousness, and glory. What can you do with your pastor? What can a pastor and a people do together? Let's be thankful for God sending ministers to teach us. We started out with Jeremiah 3 this morning of the prophecy of it. Let's be thankful. Let's be appreciative and let our joy show and affect others like the celebration that took place in Nehemiah 8. This And this church is the, this way. Let's just be better at it. The Lord brought us to 1 Peter 5, 1-4. through 4. Let's just be better at it. Let's celebrate the fact that men, God has sent men to teach us and that we have understood the Word of God and let's act like they did in Nehemiah and have celebrations Whether we actually celebrate with food and drink or not, we do from time to time, but let us be appreciative and excited about it. Pray for your pastor because it says so in Ephesians 6.19, after you've put on the whole armor of God, pray for me. Pray, when you pray for me, you are holding up my arms with a rod like Aaron held up the arms of Moses. Pray for me for the Lord to open up the Word of God to me that I can behold wondrous things there and communicate them to you. Be at peace among yourselves. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12-13, when it describes the ministry and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and it does say that, it says this little sentence, be at peace among yourselves. The greatest gift you can give a pastor is to be a congregation at peace. Because when there's war, either with our doctrine and practice, or with me, or war between any of you among yourselves, it is so distracting and destructive from studying and being the pastor that I can and should be. Be Bible students grounded in the things that we believe so that you can defend them. Have those words of, those certain words of truth as the Bible describes them in your mouth. Earnestly contend for the faith with me that was once delivered to the saints. Let's not change. Let's look for the old paths and love the old paths. Hate any thought of new doctrine or practice with me and any false way. Let's ridicule the errors that are out there. Let's have rivers of water. Let's have stirred up spirits. Let's dispute where we have opportunity. Let's hold. Let's hate. Let's hold to the apostolic religion of the Bible. Let's hate any false way that's been thrown up, no matter by how many or by who. Silence backbiting tongues or brothers that sow discord by showing an angry countenance and then taking it further. Proverbs 25.23 says that if you are encountering a backbiting tongue, then you should by an angry countenance drive it away like the north wind does rain. Pray for the Lord of harvest to send more faithful laborers into his vineyard. The elders, the elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, 
not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, not as being lords over God's heritage, but examples to the flock. And the chief shepherd, when he appears, will give you a crown of glory. The Lord's blessed us all abundantly. He's fulfilled mighty prophecies to us, toward us. He can do more. He can do more for us. We'll let him worry about the numbers. Some are going to leave us. The Lord's going to winnow them out. I hate to see it every time, but we're just going to keep on preaching the same old-fashioned gospel and Bible, word by word, verse by verse, from our King James Version. Amen. Amen.